so glad that you're here. And I do want to talk about, I do want to talk about leveling up today, all right? I want to talk about leveling up as we kick off the summer. We're going to level up our faith, and we're going to level up by going under, okay? We're leveling up by going under. Um, I remember learning how to wakeboard several years ago. Anybody ever wakeboarded before? Just raise your hand. Anybody in this? Okay, you wakeboarded. Okay, it is a, it's a great experience once you learn how to get up on the water. It's torturous before you learn how to get up on the water. And, and I remember uh, the guy I went with, he was like, okay, hey, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get you out there. And, okay, what you want to do? And he's like, tell me how to sit back in it. And like, okay, it's going to pull you up. And when you do, keep that board, keep the edge of the board up. Because if you don't, he's going to be like, there's kind of like this, I don't know, it's kind of like a mousetrap effect, okay? It's kind of because it was like, like that. And so I was like, oh, cool. I, I, I mean, I've water skied before, so I got this. <laughs> I literally thought, I was like, I was trying to learn, but I'm like, this is going to be, I got this. I've, this is not my first time in a boat. It's not my first rodeo, okay? Yeah, we'll make the transition from water skiing to wakeboarding. No problem. Got, you know, it took me a while to, to get up off the thing. And as soon as I got up, like I'm talking two seconds. You know what happened? Mousetrap. And it felt like, bam, like this. It wasn't just like a little mousetrap. I mean, this was like commercial grade inner city rat trap, okay? This is like, bam! <laughs> it was like, I mean, the thing, like, if I felt every second of it, I was like, oh, oh, okay, all right, let's, you weren't lying, all right, mousetrap. Okay, uh, let's go next time. You know what, got up, two seconds, bam! Got up the next time, two seconds, bam! Three seconds, bam, I'm, I'm not even joking, probably 12 times. 12 times, and like by the 11th time, I was like, mm, just moving a little bit slower. And he's like, you wanna do this again? I was like, yeah, yeah, let, let's go. I mean, cause it's like, you know, it's guys getting together, and when guys get together, usually stupid follows really closely after, you know what I'm talking about? The testosterone's just building up, and you're like, nah, I, I can do this. Then we get up the next time, I maybe make it four or five seconds, which was a huge testimonial at that point. And then sooner, uh, boom, mousetrap, and I'm just laying there. I'm just laying there. I'm breathing, but I can't even move. I can't even move my neck. They circle the boat around. They're like, you doing all right? I was like, no, no, I'm not doing all right. I'm dead. <laughs> this is what death feels like. I'm sure of it. And so, but I, I just, I want to praise the Lord. I do want to give a little testimonial. Eventually, ladies and gentlemen, praise the Lord. I did eventually get that wakeboard up and I cruised around Table Rock Lake, victorious, <laughs> overcoming by the blood of the Lamb in the soreness of my neck. All right. A lot of times, eventually I did level up, but, but it felt like going under. And a lot of, that's, a lot of times that's what happens in our life. We're, we, we're going to level up. God wants to level us up, but initially it looks like going under. And that's exactly what happens in our passage today. One of the most quintessential passages in all of Scripture is when Jesus calms a storm. We're going to be looking at this in Matthew chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Matthew chapter 8. I mean, this is one of the most powerful, one of the most poignant, encouraging, just unbelievable passages of Scripture. Now, you've probably heard this before. You've heard this. You've, you've maybe even seen video of this before at different times. You've seen, it, you've seen this reenacted, re recreated. 
If you've been in church, this story's not going to be new to you. But what I want to encourage you to do today is let it hit you as if it's hitting you for the first time. Because this miracle is amazing. It's unbelievable. It's where Jesus calms a storm. Now, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, this isn't the first time that we've talked about storms recently, right? A few weeks ago, as we were wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the, the guy who built his house on the rock versus the guy who built his house in the sand. And when the storms come, the one who stands firm is the one who built his house on the rock. So we talked about storms there. And then really the next week, we talked about how when you're going through a valley, because Jesus leaves the mountain from the Sermon on the Mount, and then he goes into Capernaum in the valley, and he starts healing people. So he's meeting people as they're going through difficult situations. You could say they're going through storms. And now we get to a place where Jesus is, is going to calm a storm, physical, very obvious, demonstrable act of his supernatural, miraculous power. You get this idea. There's almost like a theme that Jesus is weaving here. It's this idea that although living in the kingdom is amazing and living for the kingdom is the only way to live, but what Jesus is going to, he's teaching us, and Matthew is making sure he includes all of this in here, is that although living for Jesus is amazing, it's not always easy. And it's not always comfortable. And it may seem like you're going from one storm to another storm to another storm. I don't believe it's any accident that we see these three instances, the house on the sand, house on the rock, Jesus healing in the valley, and now literally going through a storm. It's almost like Jesus is wanting us to understand something that he will talk about in, in the book of John, where he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Everybody say, take heart. Come on, turn to the person next to you say, take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus says to us. And we're going to see this. Literally, he overcomes the storm and brings peace to it. Now, before we jump into this, I want to just pause for a moment. And, and I want to bring this right where we are, right here today. You might be going through a storm. You might find yourself, as we're getting ready to look at this passage, and you're dealing with something that is difficult. It's keeping you up at night. It's got you worked up. It's got you worried up. And I want to encourage you to let this passage hit you. Let this story hit you as if you're hearing it for the first time because Jesus wants to speak calm. He wants to speak peace to your troubled storm. Amen? Amen. If you're ready to jump in, say I am. I am. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 says this. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. suddenly. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed. And they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I want to do something a little bit different today. I, I, I just wanted to read that in its entirety so you could just let that hit you. And I have two thoughts that I'm just going to be referring back to because I actually want to unpack this text. I just want to read through this because each line of this is just chock full of gold. 
And I want just to speak to us. I want to encourage us. But there's two thoughts that I want you to walk away with. So if you're taking notes, write this down. And if you're not taking notes, write this down, okay? Real quick. Number one, Jesus is greater than your storm. It's the simple reality of God. He's greater than your storm. It doesn't matter how great your storm might be. Jesus is greater. We're going to unpack that. We're going to look at that today. The second thing is this. Jesus can use your storm to do a greater work in you. So Jesus is greater than your storm, and Jesus can use your storm to do a greater work in you. And that's exactly what he wants to do for all of us. He wants to level us up. Sometimes it's going to look like going under, but the the, the end result when Jesus is in our boat is that we're going to come up over. Come on, somebody. So we're going to walk through this passage. I just want to pull line by line. We're going to grow, and we're going to be encouraged. And if you're going through a storm, this is going to speak right to you. And if you know someone who's going through a storm, you're going to be able to help them. Before we do, I want you to find three people next to you and say, my God is greater than my storms. Come on, in faith, tell someone, my God is greater than my storms. First verse right here, verse 23, Matthew chapter 8. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him that they got into a boat is not surprising right they live by the sea of galilee so i thought i'd just show a little bit of uh, footage of the sea of galilee here this is this is the sea of galilee i i shot that when we were in israel a few weeks ago just kidding i did not shoot that that would have been amazing you don't want to see my anyways anyways doesn't look anything like this but um this is the sea of galilee all right so this is this is the area it's, it's, it's a lot of water. Everything's around the water. You can still see today how natural it is. It's pretty impressive. So these guys spend their days fishing. Fishing was the chief enterprise of the day. Uh, they're spending a lot of time out on the water, a lot of time in boats. In fact, Jen and I had the opportunity to go to this place called Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from. And they've discovered where houses and, and the synagogue where Jesus probably preached at, which is absolutely fantastic. Phenomenal. They discovered it just recently in the last couple of decades. They, they discovered this, this synagogue and this whole city, and they had the houses laid out, and there's these small little homes. And then, like, what they would do, because it was right by the sea, they would catch the fish, and they would keep the fish alive, and they would bring them, and they put them in little, like, fish hatcheries. And, and you would pick, you wouldn't, because there's no refrigeration, you would come and pick the fish when it was alive. So you could pick your little fish, okay, I'll take that one. And then a fishmonger would take that fish and then Gollum style, just beat that thing on a rock. And, and then, then you would take it home. You would take it home. And so um, the water is a part of their life. The water is very much a part of where they are and where they live. And so getting into the boat is not something that would be unusual. This is not the first time that Jesus interacted with his disciples and, and, and involved boats. But it is an interesting context. Because as we looked at last week, as Nathan walked us through last week, the people who are getting into this boat really want to be in this boat. <laughs> because Jesus basically given uh, probably what is the, the first ever come to Jesus and basically said, if, unless you're really in on this thing, I'm not interested. Because eventually, you're, if you're in this for you, you're going to end up doing your own thing anyways. So let's get rid of your excuses before we take any steps forward because, because you don't really want to do this unless you really want to do this. So here's the thing. The people who are in this boat 
really want to be in this boat. He's kind of cleaned house a little bit. And so he's taking his disciples on a journey. Let me just say this as we jump into this. The greatest thing we can ever do is follow Jesus when he gets into a boat. When G wherever Jesus is leading, that's where we want to be. Wherever Jesus is wanting to take us, it's worth, it's, it's worth it for us to leave the shore and to get into the boat where Jesus wants us to go. And, and that's, that's the greatest adventure. You know, I, I love hiking. Anybody like to hike in the summer? Any summer hikers or, or, or any people like to go like snorkeling or scuba diving? Anybody like that? Like amazing adventures. Summer's a great time for adventure. But the greatest adventure that you could ever go on is getting into the boat with Jesus and going where he wants you to go. And saying to him, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to go where you want me to go. Where you lead me, I will follow. Now here's a question. Where is Jesus taking these guys? Where are they going? We're going to find out uh, in Mark's gospel, if you look at Mark's gospel, that they're going to go to the other side. Look, it says this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Everybody say the other side. Now, other side of the lake doesn't mean much to you and me. Uh, going to the other side of a lake, if you're on a lake, doesn't mean a whole lot. But in that day, the Jews stayed on one side and the Gentiles lived on the other. And we're going to see this more next week. Make sure you come back next week. We're going to be talking about one of the, one of the most powerful stories in, in the gospel. Uh, Jesus lands on the other side, does something amazing there. But what he's doing is he's taking his disciples to the other side. Who lived there? The people who didn't belong, non-Jews. And Jewish people weren't really excited about ministering to people who weren't Jews. Even today, uh, even just being in Israel a few weeks ago, like we were talking with our, our guide, and he was talking about how they're not really interested in proselytizing. They're, they're not really interested in converting other people. If someone wants to be a Jew, like, yeah, you can come on in, you can be a Jew, but they're not out actively seeking new members. This is what's so different about Christianity and what Jesus brought. What Jesus said is that, yes, the kingdom is about you experiencing it. The kingdom is about God changing the way you think, the way you act, the way you live out your life. It's about changing every aspect of your life, but, it's, but the different thing about Jesus is he's demonstrating and prioritizing something he will do later in the Great Commission is that it's not enough for you just to grab a hold of and experience God for yourself. God is meant to be shared. God is meant to be shared. That whatever God is doing in your life, he wants to also do it in someone else's life. And that's why we talk about this all the time, that we're not just blessed to be blessed, we're blessed to be a blessing. Come on, somebody. That's our job. That's our goal. It's, just, it's not just to receive all the goodness and have all the healing and have all the things that God wants to do in our life and keep it to ourselves. We've got to share it. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's going to people who don't belong. And let me just pause for a moment and say this. If you're here today and you feel like you don't belong, maybe you feel like you're not good enough to be in church, or maybe your week has been a bad week and you feel like you've done things that you shouldn't, you've said things that you shouldn't, and you're like, man, the last place I should go with church. Let me just say that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the first place you should be is in the presence of God. And Jesus is demonstrating this. Because he's saying, I've come for those that don't belong. Those that feel like they have been, they've gone too far. Jesus says, no, I'm going to go to the other side. And I'm going to bring you home. You'll see this over and over again. So Jesus takes these guys on a boat ride. 
Now these boats weren't big. I wanna show you a, uh, an example of this, a boat that was found in 1986. As they were walking, uh, the Sea of Galilee had receded a lot and um, some, some people who were wa walking along the shore found this boat. This is an actual first century wooden boat and it had been encrusted in the mud of the Sea of Galilee. That's how it was preserved. So they, they carefully brought it up out of there. So you can see, these are not large vessels. You can, let's show a, a, a recreation of it. Um, this, is what, this is a model of what it would have looked like. So we're not talking about large vessels. We're not talking about large boats. So Jesus, where's Jesus sleeping? Probably somewhere in the back there. He's just cuddled up, sleeping. And whoever, whoever's on this boat, we don't know how many disciples were on the boat, but we know there are multiple boats. Mark's gospel tells us there were multiple boats. And they're all out there. These boats are not made for storms. I mean, they're barely made for fishing. <laughs> you know, these are not OSHA certified vessels. There's no life preservers. I mean, if they get a little bit of storm water, this thing is, it can get real dangerous in a hurry. They're not made for storms, and yet a furious storm comes up. Verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Storm shows up. It shows up suddenly. It shows up furiously. It shows up seemingly out of nowhere. Mark says the water's coming into the boat. It feels like they're going under. I want to pause for a moment and say, isn't this how it feels when the enemy brings storms our way? Yeah. Seems like it's out of nowhere, seems sudden, seems almost accidental, but how many of you know it's not accidental? I want to just encourage you with Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. How many of you ever had an interaction with somebody where you're like, oh my goodness, that is so rude. How dare you? Have everybody had an interaction like that? Like, where you just feel like somebody is like, they wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and you're like, oh my goodness, what has gotten into you? The reality is, is Ephesians 6 is, the devil has gotten into them. That's what, that's what it is. A lot of times, in all, in all seriousness, the, the enemy, we think our struggle is with that person that we're not getting along with. We think our struggle is with that situation. But I want you to know this, there is a greater power that is behind your struggle. There is a greater power that is behind your storm. We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is an enemy of your souls that is working nonstop. And just because you give your life to Christ, you start following God, doesn't mean he's done with you. It's not like, okay, you, you, you come forward, you get saved, you get baptized, it's like, oh man, lost another one, dang it. No, he's already got the ones he's got. Actually, what happens is he sees you start moving towards God, he starts moving towards you. He rolls up his sleeves and he says, okay, guys, let's get together. We got a brainstorm. They're making some traction spiritually. We've got to do something to get them off track. Think about this for a moment. What are the disciples doing? They're following Jesus. They're in the boat with Jesus, about to do the work of Jesus, missionally to the people who are away from Jesus. If anybody should have it easy, it should be these guys, right? 
Shouldn't they have an easy, like, like leisurely dinner cruise with the sunset in the background? You know, just rowing ever so gently, nice wind propelling them across the sea. Shouldn't that be the case for them, right? They're doing the work of God. The devil is going to bring a storm. When you start moving towards God, he's going to start moving towards you. You don't need to be afraid of it. You just need to be aware of it so you're not surprised and overwhelmed by it when it happens. And you'd be like, okay, I just know you're up to your old tricks. I know you're out to get me, but I'm not going to be overwhelmed by that because that's who you are. But I've got good news for you. When you're in Jesus' boat, you're going to be okay. You don't have to be overwhelmed by these things. You don't have to be afraid of these things because you're in Jesus' boat and he's right there. And if you've got Jesus in your boat, you have got all you need. You've got all that you need. The next passage says this. When he arrived. When he arrived. I love that. We, we didn't read this. We'll read it next week. But it's almost like immediately after the storm happens, they arrive where they were trying to go and where God was trying to get them. Think about this for a moment. The storm actually helped them get where Jesus was trying to take them. They could have rowed really hard, because, I mean, that's a lot of work to row all the way across the lake. Or they could just go through a storm and Jesus can get them there. How many of you know that's true for us? The storm you are going through may actually be used by God to get you where God is trying to take you. I want you to know this. God is trying to do a deep work in your heart. He's trying to make, if you start moving towards him, he's trying to deepen your spirit. He's trying to deepen your faith, deepen your walk with him so you will trust him for greater things so he can do more in and through your life than you ever thought possible. And although he does not cause storms, he may lead you into storms so that it, when you're in the midst of your storm, you see him bring you up out of your storm. Because that's what God wants to do. That's what he wants to teach us. Here's the hard reality. Your storm is going to cause you to reach out to God and find him in a greater way than you ever thought possible. James chapter 1 says this, consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I believe God's trying to raise some people up who have a little bit of perseverance. God's trying to raise some Christians up who've got a little bit of stamina, a little bit of strength, a little bit of stick to it Let persevere, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you want to be immature Christians? How many want to be weak, wimpy Christians? Nobody. We all want to be strong. We all want to level up. And God's like, great, I'm going to get you where you want to go, but it may look like you're going under for a little while. He goes on and say, this is James, the brother of Jesus. He goes on in, in verse 12, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. God is trying to make you an overcomer. God is trying to teach you victory. And that victory might look like you're going under, but really God wants to de deepen your faith so that you come up over. God uses storms to do a greater work in our lives. And that's why it's so important for us when we're, when we're going through those storms to remind ourselves of what God had spoke to us while we were on the shore. 
in the moments where he was speaking to us, where he was speaking promise, where he was speaking life to us, where he was speaking things like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Either that's true or it's not. It's true on the shore, but it's also true in the middle of the sea as you're going through a storm. Come on, somebody. It's true. And you got to hold on to that and say, I might be going through it right now, but I know that God is for me. And I'm looking right now and I'm seeing that he's with me. So this storm is not going to define me. God is going to use it to make me better. Our job is to trust that God is working and pray, God, what are you trying to work in me? That's our job. Trust that he's working and then pray, God, what are you trying to work in me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to develop in me? What was Jesus trying to teach these disciples? Because he's sleeping. You know what he's trying to teach them? That God likes naps. That's what I'm saying. That's, right? Some of you, that's the only thing you're getting out of church today. He said God likes naps, so I'm going to go take a nap today. Someone's getting really blessed. You know what, God? I do believe this. I, I, think that, I think that Jesus is sleeping for a reason. Because, I mean, I mean I'm, this is a small boat. He's got this little, little spot, right? Do you think he's really sleep? He's really tired if he's sleeping through a storm that's about to take them down. Or he's doing the game we do as parents, right? When the kids come and it's too early in the morning. And you're like, no, I'm, we're not, we are not getting up. You are going back to your bed. So you know what you do? You just act like you're asleep. And you can't hear them. <laughs> I know, it's not good parenting. It's probably not good parenting techniques. I think, Jesus, I think Jesus is awake, but he's trying to teach the disciples something very powerful about storms. What's the first thing that we usually lose when we're going through a storm? Sleep. We lose sleep, right? Keeps you up in the middle of the night. You wake up, breathing fast, breathing hard. Okay, what are we going to do about this situation? I think Jesus is trying to tell him, listen, when I'm with you and you're in my boat doing what I've called you to do, going where I've taken, called you to go, you've got nothing to worry about and your sleep will be sweet and these storms will not overwhelm you. So just chill. Just chill out. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. I just want to pause for a moment. We know the end of the story. Were they going to drown? No. No. What was the reality of their story? God was about to do something amazing. God was about to do a miracle. But how did they feel? They felt like they were going to drown. See, this is why we have to understand what we see and what we know to be true. Because the spiritual realities are always the greater realities. What you see is not the ultimate. It's just what you see. But God, the reality is that God was there and God was working. But that's not what they saw. What they saw were their feelings. Feelings are powerful, aren't they? But feelings lie. Feelings cannot be trusted. 
They will tell you all kinds of things that are not true. And then the devil will play on those feelings. Anybody ever had the devil mess with your feelings? And have you believe things that aren't true and lead you to, to conclusions that are not true and, and end up missing a hold of all that God has for you. And that's why you've got to grab a hold of your feelings. And you've got to preach faith to your feelings. and Say, no, no, no. Your reality might be that you're in a storm, but there's also a greater reality. God is in your boat. I mean, there's four people who got blessed by that. I mean, come on, somebody. Like, your feelings might say you're going under, but the reality is God's right there with you. And there's no way Jesus is going under. There's no way he's going under. So you've got to preach faith to your feelings. And you've always got hope if the Savior is in your boat. Oh, come on, somebody. You've got hope if the Savior's... Tell somebody that. You've got hope if the Savior's in your boat. Come on, tell three people. Tell them right now. You've got hope if the Savior's in your boat. What do these guys do? They say, Lord, save us. Best thing they could ever do. This is the first time in Matthew's Gospels his disciples call him anything. And they call him Lord, which is curios or master. Someone who is in authority. If you pay attention to what Matthew will tease out, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the passages that follow, he's constantly trying to get us to see that Jesus is the authority. And they're looking to him as the authority, and they're saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Save us. What a powerful prayer to pray because it's a prayer that God answers. We should pray that prayer. We should pray that prayer over our family. God save us! We should pray that over our community. We should pray that over our church. We should pray that over our country. God save us! We should pray that prayer over our family more than we worry about our family. We should pray that over our church more than we talk bad about our church. Come on, somebody. We should pray that over our country more than we just gripe and complain about our country. I'll tell you what, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, that may be true, but what we need is not Christians who just gripe and complain, but Christians who rise up with faith and say, Lord, save us. Because it might look stormy. It might look difficult. It might look like we're going under, but we're bringing you into this situation, and we know that if you're here, we've got nothing to worry about, and you can do anything, so we're going to you with everything. We're asking you to show up, show out, and, and do something that you can do and bring calm to our storms. We need to pray that prayer. Lord, save us. Jesus gets up, and he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Can you imagine like, you're about to go under, you're about to drown, you're like, Jesus save us, and he's like, why are you so afraid? You gotta be thinking, uh, duh. Never pray that prayer to Jesus. Never tell Jesus, duh. It's not good. But it's almost like, 
you not see this? It's not that they forgot that Jesus was with them. It's just they didn't really know who he was. They didn't know who he was. They had seen him be brilliant on the Sermon on the Mount. They'd seen him heal some people, but they didn't know who he was yet. They didn't know he was God himself. God incarnate, God in the flesh. Till he gets up, goes, peace. Wind, waves, quiet. They went from afraid to amazed. I believe that's exactly what God wants to do for us. I believe that's what God wants to do for you today. You might be in a situation where you are afraid. You're afraid of what you cannot control. The good news is you don't have to control it. All you have to do is look to the one who is in control and the one who is with you and who loves you and has a plan for your life and you just gotta let him do what he does best to show up. You gotta pray, Lord, save me. Some of you, if you're away from God, you don't know Jesus today. Today is your day to pray that prayer and say, Lord, save me. Get right with God. Let God do something in your, stop living for yourself. It's not working, it's not worth it. Turn your life to Jesus and say, Lord, save me, and he will show up in a powerful way. Some of you, you know the Lord, but you're going through a storm. These disciples, they were following Jesus. They were doing the will of Jesus. Some of you have gotten bitter. You've gotten bitter. Why am I going through this? I'm doing what you want me to do. Listen, as long as we're this side of eternity, Jesus told us, in this world you will have trouble. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to go through storms. You're going to have situations. He's showing us again and again already in Matthew's gospel. This is how it goes. But those storms do not need to define you if you look to the Savior who has created you. He's got a plan for your life. If we could, let's stand all across this place. I want us to pray. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. I want to encourage you, some of you are going through a storm. You're going through a difficult situation. You're going through something that's overwhelming you. Even as you came into this place, maybe you're worried about the future. Maybe you're worried about things that you can't control. You're worried about your business. Maybe your marriage is, is going through a difficulty. You're stressed. You're afraid. You're worried. You're upset. I want you to know that God sees you. God loves you. And if you are in his boat, see, this is, this is the difference. Jesus isn't in your boat. You're in his boat. If you look to him as Lord and Savior, you can have him move in your life in that way. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know that God cares and God is good and God wants to show himself faithful to you. And he can change your reality or he can bring peace to your heart. Either way, it's miraculous. And we just, we experience it when we say, Lord, save us. So I want to encourage you today. We're going to pray. We're going to just take some time and pray. We're going to worship. I want to encourage you as we do. If you have a need, God sees you, God hears you, God cares for you, and he wants to do something for you if you will just let him.